Good morning, everybody. This is the Marcus Today Members Podcast on Tuesday, 27th of February. General advice only, if it's advice at all, usual rules. 250 results down and just three more days to go. And a rum old set of results we've had today, got to say. Stocks we hold, Coles Group up 7%, Altium down 1%. And Altium's been bid for, of course, so results largely irrelevant, but happy with the Coles result. Other notables today were... Woodside up 1%, Reese up 14.2%. And that's about it for the good news. The bad news, John's Ling Group down 14% on results, Zip down 10%. DGL Group, don't hold that, haven't held it, down 41% on results. And City Chic down 13%. I don't know what TRJ is, but they've had results. Trajan Group, they've had results down 17%. Tyro Payments down 125 ReadyTech down 10 Results really is a dangerous time, isn't it? Only two more days of danger to go and fairly limited results coming up, but we've still got Flight Center Perpetual, which we hold, income portfolio. And on Thursday, the last day, Ramsey Healthcare, and that's about it. Suncorp, we hold, had results yesterday. They're up 1.7% since. NIB Holdings down 6% since results yesterday. And I've written those up today. Results were okay, actually. Average target price currently 6% above the current share price. Citigroup and UBS both have buy recommendations this morning with target price 11%, 20% above the current share price. We hold it for income. The yield at the moment is 5.1%, including franking. Share price is trending up. Happy to hold. Old. Boring income stock, which goes up. Perfect combination. Market's pretty quiet today, down nine points. We have been as low as 42 points down. Probably saw the iron ore price came off 3% overnight. BHP and Rio got marked off this morning, but only down a smidgen at the moment, 09 and 0.9%, so holding in. Terry McCran in the Herald Sun, that bastion of business, pulled out some interesting numbers today. He made the point that BHP, Rio and Fortescue, between them, have 80% of their entire combined profit coming from iron ore. We sort of know that. 70% for BHP, 84% for Rio and 100% for Fortescue Metals, who exports 100% of that to China. And out of every dollar of revenue, they make 64 cents on average average of profit, which makes the point which we've been speaking about over the last week after one broker put in a forecast that the iron ore price could fall $50 to $80 and decimate the profits of BHP, Rio and Fortescue Metals. The risk being, of course, that the iron ore price does fall over and it is a significant risk to BHP, Rio and Fortescue Metals. Any Marcus Today member will tell you something that we've talked about a lot, which is that these stocks are not investments. They are fabulous long duration trading stocks. They have big pivot points and can move 20, 30, 50% in one trend. And they all just peaked out and the iron ore prices peaked out. The vibe from the Chinese economy is not fabulous. They recently cut rates more than expected, which was seen as a warning sign that the economy is not doing well. And the BHP price is now off from 
$51 to under $44. Support is around $42, drops below there, and you're looking at $36. Anyway, the trend is down at the moment. The vibe towards the Chinese economy is poor. The Chinese have their two sessions coming up, which is the National People's Congress and the Chinese People's Political Consultative Conference, held on March 3rd and March 5th. And they will deliberate on major issues, including growth forecasts. So we'll see what they do with their growth forecasts. But they are prone to GDP forecasts, which seem fancifully positive. So we'll see what they come up with. But if there is anything other than fanciful positivity, it won't read well for the iron ore price or the Chinese economy. And the other issue this broker had, or the reason they had for predicting the iron ore price falling to $80, was Rio's 40 45% owned African project, iron ore project, which comes online this year, but mostly on, sorry, next year and the year after, which will significantly improve, increase, sorry, supply of seaborne iron ore and threatens the iron ore supply demand balance, especially if China is waning. The other thing that's upset the iron ore price overnight is that Vale has had results and has been talking about finding other markets for their iron ore, which is an implicit suggestion that the Chinese market has rather dull prospects. Bottom line, you can see iron ore stocks in downtrend, iron ore stocks risky. We recently sold FMG in our income and growth portfolio. We are not holding BHP in the one stock portfolio at the moment. And whilst it goes ex-dividend, Rio and BHP go ex-dividend on March the 7th, I believe. And we are wondering whether we should be holding them in the income portfolio and the growth portfolio. Maybe we shouldn't. We were thinking of just selling BHP now and forget the dividend. So one of the two major sectors of the Australian market in downtrend is the point. The other major sector, of course, is the banks. We have huge holdings of CBA in both our portfolios. It is sitting at its highs. It's gone ex-dividend and it hasn't started to sell off as you would expect. In fact, this recent quarterly results season, as well as half-year results from the CBA, was quite good and all the banks are holding up. We are wondering whether we will continue to hold CBA in the income portfolio, but we're wondering whether, because we hold it in the growth portfolio in large size, whether we shouldn't be selling that and looking elsewhere. We're holding it for the moment. Just keeps holding up. So why argue at the moment? The other issue is the market, of course. Our market's getting left behind by the US. Have a look at the chart of the NASDAQ. It's still holding in there. Trend is still good. The hype is not going away. LNAS, for instance, is up 0.1% today. FANG up 0.4%. Thank goodness for ETFs. The Australian market, with its banks and resources, is looking so 1980s compared to big tech, where all the action is. So thank goodness in the strategy portfolio. And we're outperforming significantly in the strategy portfolio, thanks to a 10% holding in FANG, which is up 9.7% in less than a month. We've got a 30% holding in HNDQ, which is the hedged NASDAQ ETF. That's up 19.3% in four months. And we've got a 30% holding in IHVV, which is the hedged S&P 500 ETF. That's up 17.2% in four months. If you remember, we bought into the US market and our market on 
first or second of November last year, right at the bottom, day or two after the bottom, day or two after the Fed meeting in November, which turned interest rate thinking on its head. Our Indian ETF, 10% holding there, holding its own, not doing too much for us, 0.2% up. And our ASX 200, when you consider that we're up 19 and 17% in our US ETFs since the 1st of November, the A200, ASX 200 ETF bought on the same day is only up 9.5%. We are getting left behind. I had a chart in the weekend newsletter of the ASX 200 relative to the S&P 500. And apart from the resources boom in the early 2000s, our market has consistently underperformed the US. And it really is a great ad for ETFs with their low cost, low volatility, minimal decision making needed and giving you exposure to markets that you wouldn't get through holding the traditional and now old fashioned looking 20 stocks in the ASX 200. Macquarie hitting a 52-week high, which is annoying. We don't hold it in the ASX 200 at the moment, having sold it after that CPI number a week and a half ago in the US, which spooked us out of the market in our ideas portfolio. But things have held up and Macquarie doing okay. Can't do much about that. Otherwise, you might notice there's a load of action in the Australian building materials sector. Adbri has been bid for and has now agreed to be taken over. Seven groups Group has made a bid for Boral last week and CSR at the end of last week has bid for has been bid for by Saint-Gobain at $9 and they've agreed that bid as well. Everybody seems to want to buy or get exposure to the Australian house building market and part of the reason I think is that there has been so much pain in that market particularly from some builders going bust there've been labor and material shortages which have created a big back of building to be done, all these post-COVID issues. Meanwhile, we've got low unemployment, high immigration, government stimulus, and not enough houses. So everyone seems to be wanting to get into Australian house building materials. If you are supposed to sell into sentiment bubbles and buy into sentiment holes, then the Australian building industry has been in a sentiment hole and the big players are making long-term decisions to buy at the bottom. They obviously think it's the bottom. There are other building material stocks around, of course. One is Reese REH up 14% today on results. Other ones are WC, James Hardy, which is exposed to the US. Sims Metal which had a disappointing set of results recently. Fletcher Building, Kiwi, and GWA, to name a few. Illumina has finally been bid for by its parent. It is the 40% owner of the Alcoa World Aluminium and Chemical Chemicals joint venture AWAC, 60% owned by Alcoa, and Alcoa has bid for Illumina in order to clean up, finally clean up after many years. Illumina, whose only job it was, was to pass on the dividend that they got from the AWAC's joint venture. Despite that, there, as Henry's pointed out a number of times, it was a director's gravy train, huge salaries being paid to directors to simply pass on a dividend, something that could have been done by Alcoa without all the costs. Anyway, have a look at the chart of Illumina relative to the ASX 200 since listing. A lot of fund managers will be looking at that and saying, good riddance, it has over the long term performed terribly. There's an article in the AFR about Amazon investing $13.2 billion in Australian cloud infrastructure in the next three years on the eastern seaboard. The biggest problem with data centers, which I didn't know until I read this article, is water use. It needs infrastructure. Google uses $16.2 billion billion 
10 litres of water a year to cool its starter centre. 16.2 billion litres of water a year. Uh, They use, no one's picked up on this yet, but AI uses as much or emits as much carbon as Bitcoin mining. Anyway, the data center infrastructure spend is going to last for years. Next, DC is the Australian data center play. Obvious one. We don't hold it, despite talking about it a thousand times. I came back from London last year, having sat with a corporate investment banker who told me all the money was being spent on infrastructure for data centers. And I came back and thought we should buy Next DC. looked at the numbers, the numbers, of course, I didn't really realize have been perverted at the earnings level by huge depreciation charges. I should have looked at EBITDA instead of earnings and PEs. But anyway, didn't buy Next DC. The other play, of course, is Goodman Group, who provide buildings and both of those stocks hitting multi-year highs. Is it too late? Good to see Paladin beginning to bounce a little bit after its post-results sell-off and a fall in the uranium price. Nothing to do with results. It's to do with the uranium price. Results are okay. Having a bit of a bounce you'd possibly be buying those as a trader. And we've got a bit of a write-up of Coles today after their results and the share price currently up 6%. There's profit taking around in Block, which had a huge run at the end of last week on results, down 5% today. Gold stocks coming off as well. Newmont Northern Star down 3% and Brainchip down 23% today. Zip down 10%. Playside Studio, remember that old trading stock. Directors sold some stock today down 8 Telstra X dividend nine cents tomorrow. And most of the focus at the moment is on the Australian CPI number at 11.30 a.m. tomorrow. And then we have the US PCE price index on Friday. So Friday night, 12.30 a.m. on Saturday morning for us. Formula One Grand Prix back this weekend. And I've put a little link into something we've been caught wasting hours on is if you Google New York. York Times Connections and it's a little game to play every morning. You have to make groups of four out of 16 words. You might quite like it. It's not that easy. Might appeal to some of you thinkers with time on your hands. Right, that's about that. Uh, One little educational piece. Oliver was going to come down and do this, but we're running out of time. What makes an income stock? Woodside, for instance, goes ex-dividend on March the 7th, 60 cents. Fully franked, that's a near 2% yield. Why is Woodside not an income stock? I'll tell you, even if a company has a high yield, you could take BHP, Fortescue, for instance, Rio, which we do and have held in the income portfolio. Why are they not income stock? Well, they are income stocks at times is the point. I think for a retiree relying on dividends, what they want is consistency of dividends and they do not want to be kept awake at night by the share price. So the perfect dividend stock is a boring, mature, predictable company that has predictable earnings and a predictable dividend. And also, you could add on top of that, has a sense of responsibility for providing a dividend to their shareholders. So you will find the big difference between something like the CBA is the CBA, whilst they will quote a payout ratio, the CBA are very aware of their dividend progression each year, the importance of the dividend to their shareholders, and that they really mustn't muck around with the dividend. And similarly so with Telstra, Telstra at one point borrowed money to pay the dividend because of the importance or they felt the importance of the dividend to their shareholders. 
And if they, for a moment, started simply paying out dividends depending on earnings, they would lose a large portion of their loyal shareholder base. So certain companies have a feel a responsibility to pay out dividend, and the banks are certainly in that category. Telstra has been in that category. But what you will find is that BHP, Rio, Fortescue, Woodside, any company that is cyclical and has its profits and earnings dictated to it by commodity prices can't possibly do any more than declare, as most of them do, a payout ratio related to earnings, in which case the dividend goes up and down with earnings. And whilst that might be at times a high prevent or present a high yield, whilst that might look like a decent income stock, it's all a question of your definition of income. And Woodside, Fortescue, BHP, fail in one important element of being a income stock, which is reliability, predictability of the dividend. And when your dividend is entirely related to earnings, you might find that one year you're getting X and the next year you're getting half X or 2X. And it is that volatility that some investors will dismiss a stock as an income stock if they can't rely on it. So that's why you, as a fund manager trying to run an income fund, you take your life in your hands putting stocks like Woodside into your income portfolio. Because even if it appears to yield 7% this year, it may not next year. And for sleep at night investors, that is more important than having one big dividend. And looking ahead, of course, we perceive on current trends, and that's as good as you can get. It's not a prediction. It is simply the current trend is a lower oil price. Might be different next month. But at this point, you will see the forecast for BHP Rio Fortescue's yield is for the yield to drop as earnings drop. So you've got earnings growth one year out on FMG of minus 24%, minus 11%, minus 12%. And the dividend will do something similar. BHP's earnings are expected to be minus 7%, minus 4% minus 4%. Rio minus 9% plus 16% minus 5% minus 3%. And Woodside minus 49% minus 7% minus 21% minus 24%. In other words, you can't rely on the earnings. So you can't rely on the dividend. So some investors who don't want to have to be trading Woodside, BHP, any other commodity related stock will simply exclude resources because they get a much more reliable ride with big mature, boring stocks like the banks. And there you go. That's why some high-yielding stocks don't make it as income stocks. And it would be remiss of me to let this go past. I cannot tell you the number of emails we've had saying that I'm buying this stock or that stock because it's got a huge dividend coming up. Well, let me tell you something about stocks with huge dividends coming up. Often they are one-off payments, say they sell some assets and pay you a big dividend, and maybe there is a huge yield on one dividend. Let me tell you a fact of life. If a stock has got a 20% payout where they're paying capital back to you, it is going to drop more than 20% when it goes ex-dividend. There's nothing for nothing in this market. And if a dividend is not a reliable dividend, it's simply a one-off payoff, you will not make money by buying that stock for that dividend. Because everybody knows that apart from that dividend, there is nothing attractive about the stock. And if you buy it for the dividend, get the stock pumped up for that dividend, it will start to lose share price 
price momentum running into that dividend. Then after it's gone ex-dividend, everyone who bought it for the dividend will be selling the stock because it's going down. Before you know where you are, you've burnt far more money than you got in the dividend. It's called the yield trap. Rookie stuff. Any stock that yields more than 10% doesn't. Right, there you go. There's enough uh, education for one day. As I leave you, our market down 12, having been down 42. Gold, the worst sector. Resources on the quiet slide. Banks holding up. And that's about that. Telstrex dividend tomorrow. You have a fabulous day. We'll be back tomorrow. 